0: The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, just in case you thought the war in the Middle East or the war in Israel was over, let me give you some news. First and foremost, the State Department, is now reviewing options for the possible recognition of a Palestinian state. Yeah, I'm mad, but I'm gonna try and not allow that to change the way I cover this story. Secretary of State Tony Blinken, of course, Um, from the State Department said that they're conducting a review and present policy options on possible, that's what he said, possible U.S. and international recognition. Do we control international recognition? I'm just curious. Like, why did he include that? Of a Palestinian state after the war in Gaza. Now, They they keep telling us that there's been no policy change, but the fact that they would even consider such an option tells you that the Biden administration is definitely uh, changing their very pro-Israel stance. Palestinian statehood recognition is extremely sensitive, not just internationally, but domestically. Our policy for decades has been that, that we don't recognize Palestine as a state. And in the UN institutions, uh, where they do talk about Palestinian statehood, that actually, our, our position has always been that should only be achieved through direct negotiations between Israel and the uh, PA, the Palestinian Authority. But now we're hearing that efforts are being made to find a diplomatic way out of the war in Gaza. And that they're gonna have to rethink a lot of the um, old US paradigms and policies, and this according to senior US officials. They're talking about normalization between Israel and Saudi Arabia as the pathway, or at least as the creating a pathway for the establishment of a Palestinian state. And we'll see. Uh, That may have looked okay prior to October 7th, but I don't think you're going to get Israel involved in this now. Not at all. Saudi officials have also made it pretty clear, publicly and privately, since October 7th, that before you can normalize things between israel and the people living in gaza you have to come up with some real answers to some real long-standing problems and questions which nobody has so of course you're hearing the biden administration they're thinking about it i don't know what that means first and foremost do you uh do you announce that you're thinking about things Apparently, in the Biden administration, you do that. Meanwhile, they didn't announce that they were thinking about anything when he decided to do an executive order against some Israelis. I'm so confused by all of that. No, I'm not really. I'm not confused. I'm just, I'm, I'm angry because they think we're stupid. You know, he's targeting settlers who apparently attacked. I don't know if that's an accurate way of looking at this. I think these were settlers who responded to acts of war. But we have a president who decides to issue an executive order targeting some Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Like, how is that even, how does that fall under executive orders. I'm just, I get really disturbed when I see them monkeying around with a system that really does work well when you follow it. You have uh, Israeli peace activists out there in some of these territories in the West Bank. And apparently uh, they've been attacked and, and some Palestinians have been attacked. And these settlers that they're sanctioning, um, committed acts of violence and have threatened uh, and have even actually seized Palestinian property. That's what this executive order says. So now we're going to punish them. They're not our citizens. I don't understand how this works. So the aim, the penalties, of course, the aim of the penalties is to keep these four people from using the U.S. financial system and not allow them to do business with American citizens. That's a pretty bold move. And and they're actually considering um, punishing some others, more than just the four individuals. I've never seen this before. Now, apparently, it's not completely unheard of and it's not like it's never happened before. But... Either you believe that Israel has the right to defend itself, which is what this president has said, which is what uh, Blinken has said, which is what everyone has said up until now. But now you're telling them uh, how to defend themselves and who is going to be punished if they defend themselves or their interests. Palestinian authorities are claiming that uh, some Palestinians have been killed and some of these... uh, pro-Palestinian rights groups say that some of these settlers have have lit cars on fire and they uh, have attacked some of these Bedouin communities forcing these nomadic Arabs to to evacuate their settlements. And and they're worried about, this, this is what kills me. In the executive order, it says this violence poses a grave threat to peace, security, and stability in the West Bank, Israel, and the Middle East region and threatens the national security and foreign policy interests of the United States. Now, let me back that out for you, okay? Because it doesn't make any sense. How does it pose a grave threat to peace, security, and stability when we just watched an attack that literally murdered... (laughs) Over a 1,000 civilians, what peace, what security, what stability is the president talking about? It doesn't exist. And and the idea that somehow, now you, you can claim that our foreign policy interests might be in danger, but how's our national security in danger? I'll tell you how. You got Iranian proxies, launching attacks against American military. That's not the settlers' fault. That's not the Israeli government's fault. That is straight up Iran's fault, and therefore, we have to confront Iran, not the Israeli settlers. This is obfuscation of the highest order, and this is what they do. This is what this Biden administration and the Obama administration before him this is what they do. They confuse the heck out of people. And they do crazy stuff that makes no sense at all. So the people are going like, "Wow, wow, that's really bad. You know, the the peace activists are getting uh, hurt." First and foremost, the so-called peace activists endanger Israel every day. And I don't understand how my national security it's threatened by the, by the uh, settlers. It's threatened by Iran. It's threatened by Houthis. It's threatened by uh, Hezbollah. It's threatened by everybody but the Israelis in that part of the world. So we'll see. I mean, the criticism for uh, supporting Israel has been mounting against this administration. We know that. You know, certainly uh, Democrats don't want to support Israel. And liberals don't like Jews. I don't care what they say. You can dance around it all you want, but that's the truth. And so just by the strong support that they've shown up until now to Israel, uh, they're, they're under fire in an election year. And everybody has already forgotten. How did this start? Oh, that's right. Hamas attacked Israel. Don't get confused. Don't let them make you believe something other than the truth. Violence by settlers should not mean, oh, we should move forward with a two-state solution. It should mean, don't even consider a two-state solution because one side doesn't want peace. And there is no way that, no, at no point in time did Israel or the IDF or any of, well, do they have any allies? I, I mean, I think America and the UK and Australia say they're allies, but has anyone ever attacked Palestinians? Have, have any Jewish organizations or any part of the administration of Benjamin Netanyahu or the Knesset ever launched an attack against civilians in Gaza? The answer is no. They have responded. And the Hamas puts their civilians in front of their warriors so that uh, they get killed. So this order that says the violence by settlers undermines our foreign policy objectives. I don't even, I can't, I'm not allowed to say the word that's on the tip of my tongue right now, and uh, you know, and if this administration, if Joe Biden and who's his vice president? I know, I, I know her name. I'm just trying to remember. I haven't seen her, and so, oh, Kamal Harris. If these two actually believe that right now, after October seventh, they're going to be able to sell this two-state solution, and the best way to do that is to attack Israel, you know, to attack the settlers. In Israel, they're stupider than I thought. And I thought they were pretty stupid. You know, so to be stupider than I thought is really quite an accomplishment. Uh, The Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, has said, no, never. That's not going to happen. We're opposed to any post-war plan that includes the establishment of a Palestinian state. The vast majority of settlers are just law-abiding citizens. He said many of them these days are fighting. They're in the reserves, so they've been called up. They're conscripts defending Israel, who has been attacked. And that's it. I don't know what the State Department is talking about, and I don't know how this falls under an executive order. I really don't. The four settlers were actually identified. David Chai Hazdai, who allegedly led a riot in Huwara, in which a Palestinian civilian was killed. He didn't kill him, but a civilian got killed. Einan Tanjil is accused of assaulting Palestinian farmers and Israeli activists. So he's accused, not been convicted. Shalom Zeicherman was reportedly filmed assaulting Israeli activists in the West Bank. And Yunan Levi regularly led a group of settlers from the Maytahim Farm outpost who apparently assaulted Palestinian and Bedouin civilians and threatened them with more violence if they didn't leave their homes. So all of these allegations, the President of the United States enacted penalties based on these allegations. Whiskey, tango, foxtrot, that's all I have to say. Don't forget to download the app, the 850WFTL app. That way you can participate in all the cool contests and uh, stay up to date on the podcast and on the news and all that good stuff. Listen to the show on your phone. Whatever you want to do, it makes it a lot easier if you have the uh, downloaded app on your phone or laptop or just visit the website, 850WFTL.com. I'm gonna take a quick break. Stay right where you are. I, I, I've just, I've gotten to the point where I don't I don't believe much of anything. Every single headline is so obviously produced from a particular standpoint or a particular bias that you just have to you just have to grimace. And it's as bad on the left as it is on the right, it's as bad on the right as it is on the left. There's no difference whatsoever. Of course there's a lot more of it on the left, but the right does the same thing. Everybody does the same thing. They make these salacious, bizarre, bold claims that you can't believe anything. You really you just have to you just have to detach a little bit. Yeah, you know, I can you imagine we're listening to James Carville again? James Carville, I mean come on. We're talking the Clinton years. Even the Obama years feel like ancient history, but the Clinton years? I'm old, but I'm not old enough. I'm not, you know, stupid enough to think that James Carville is suddenly going to become relevant again. But they're desperate. They don't know who to go who to go after and who to use. We we cannot believe how many crazy things are happening right now that you never would have thought would happen? You have a, a Ben Shapiro. You know, God bless Ben Shapiro. he's a piece of work, you know, and he's been on our station, and uh, he's got a song out on iTunes. It's number one: a rap song. Uh, I'm, I haven't heard it, but he made a rap debut with a song called "Facts," which went to the top of the charts on iTunes Store. It's sitting above, you know, the song by Justin Timberlake and the songs by Megan The Stallion and and Jack Harlow, and it's basically Ben Shapiro. With this uh, Canadian rap artist Tom McDonald, and it just—it's just a critique, or you know, a pointed rap against the culture wars and and rap in general. It calls out everybody, Nicki Minaj and Lizzo, and and <laughs> it's it's fascinating to me. One thing about Ben Shapiro is he's always ahead of everybody else. You know, he's making kids shows, he's, you know, he started websites and has had a successful radio show and one of the most successful podcasts out there. So I'm not surprised that he enters the world of rap and immediately has a number one song. (laughs) Just not surprised. And, And you look at the words, I haven't heard it, maybe we'll play it tomorrow We'll get it. But he literally raps at Nicki Minaj and raps at Lizzo. And you know, and basically tells everyone, "All my peeps, all my people, download this. Let's get a billboard number one." And that's apparently a very big deal to Ben Shapiro, who uh, is the founder of Daily Wire, has a podcast, has a radio show. And he changed his bio on X, formerly known as Twitter, to now read World's Number One Rapper. <laughs> and one of his YouTube podcast videos um, is I Am America's Number One Rapper, in which he played the entire "Fax" Music video while praising the success of his song. Can't make this stuff up? And Fax is officially the top song in the world on iTunes. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. I just want to thank God. I am to McDonald and to my parents who paid for 15 years of classical violin lessons so I could become the number one rapper in America. No one is fantastic on their first outing, but Ben did good. That's according to this rapper, McDonald. Most of the success so far has been on iTunes, which they basically, the only way they rate things is by number of downloads, how many direct downloads, how many people bought it. Um, And that's those numbers they get from Apple. And millions of listens on Apple Music and Spotify, but it's still not, G- garnered enough uh, to get into the playlists on any of those platforms. So we'll see. The The success of this song is similar to other songs that have been political in nature, like Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town, or what was that guy, the Richmond, uh, North of Richmond? Yeah, that, that guy. Oliver Anthony, right? Those were conservative uh, fans went out and got the music, so I'm not surprised that Shapiro figured out a way to get it done. I'd love to interview him. Maybe I'll I'll try to get him on the show. Um, the The song's name is Facts, and it's based on one of the things that Ben says all the time. He says, "Facts don't care about feelings," and I agree. But there's a lot of uh, lyrics in it, apparently. That seem to call back to, to all the talking points that you hear on the radio all the time. And uh, this guy, McDonald, he raps on the opening of the song. They call me offensive, controversial. There's only two genders, boys and girls. OK, and we know where that's going, right? Has, has Ben Shapiro ever even rapped before? Usually, he's critical of rap music and he's super critical of explicit lyrics at one point i remember him saying that rap wasn't really a genre of music at all it's not actually a form of music he said it's a form of rhythmic speaking thus beyond the objectivity of me just not enjoying rap all that much what i've said before is that rap is not music okay Well, now the man who doesn't think rap is music has got a big rap hit. I bet he thinks it's music now. Yeah, you betcha. All right, let me take a break. I just had to throw that in, but I got some other stuff that we have to get to before the end of today's show. So stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So that's enough of that nonsense. But I'm following this trial. I'm sure everybody is, because first and foremost, this is the first time that parents have been charged in the manner that, these, uh, that this Michigan mom, the shooter, the school shooter's mom, has been charged. And I'm listening to this case on and off, and it's so disturbing. You know, this kid was begging, begging for help And didn't get any. He gave every indication that he was going to do something terrible. And he did. And he he kept, I guess it must be a journal or a diary of some kind, where he actually talks about begging for help. And not, you know, nobody ever listening to him. I mean, he had... uh, His room looked like a, I mean, it's horrific. They have pictures of what his room was like. I don't think anybody had walked into this except for him in like two years. It was gross. He had 13 cavities in his mouth. Now, you know, you might be able to just dismiss that, but anybody who's ever had a single cavity can't just dismiss that. Anybody who's ever had a kid who had a toothache, you can't dismiss um, one of your kids having their mouth in that bad of a condition, and you do nothing about it. You have a kid who's telling you, "I need help. I need, I need to talk to somebody. I have uh, you know, I have visions or, or dreams about doing really, really terrible things, and you're ignoring that. It is time, I think this is the perfect time for the legal system to say, at some point, are we not going to expect parents to at least report, if you don't want to take care of this kid or you don't want to get help for this kid, you certainly should at least seek some professional help for yourself. You know, she didn't do that and then he ends up you know blowing away classmates and now they've decided they're going after they're going after his mother and it's going to be very interesting to see how this gets resolved for years we were talking on the air boy i'll tell you the probably the first 10 years of my career one of the things that we talked about all the time was: Should people be held accountable if they um, if they knew that someone was going to do something horrible and didn't tell the authorities? This happened in Michigan, by the way. This Jennifer Crumbly is the mother who's on trial now, and you know this kid walks into his high school and blows away his, his students, you know, his, his fellow students. And now we're getting to watch his mother on trial and hearing about how this kid begged his parents for help. Not only did he beg his parents for help, but the whole time all this was going on in his life They basically gave him access to uh, weapons and she was like having an affair in everybody's face. What a life, right? I mean, this kid was disturbed to begin with, but then his life was falling apart. His mouth is falling apart. And she was so nervous after the shooting Um, that something might happen to her horses. Now, mind you, she never got help for her kid, not for his mental or emotional issues, never even took him to a dentist for his cavities, right? But she was real concerned after the shooting that her horses might be targeted. And so she emptied her son's bank account before she got arrested. And she and her husband literally gave this very disturbed Ethan with his brain falling apart right in their face, they gave him access to a gun. They're the very first parents in the country to be charged in a mass school shooting committed by their child. They will not be the last. I can anticipate and predict that now, nor should they be. Now, I don't know that every instance is going to be as egregious as this one. I hope not. You know, I hope that this is a very odd circumstance that a mother and a father would participate in this kind of criminality in their home, resulting in something like a mass school shooting. But I don't know. And neither do you. I don't know how many more uh, Ethans are out there. I say that all the time. There are people and children, young people, out there in the street, and I watch their behavior on these YouTube videos or you see them on the news station, you know, and you say to yourself, how could a kid get that so far from reality and nobody notice? Nobody saw this coming. Nobody thought that it was odd. Like, I think about the Columbine shooters, which is really the first instance with the school shootings that most of us really got you know, to see up close and personal. And nobody thought it was weird when those boys were running around in those trench coats and, and, and mapping out you know, stairwells and all that other stuff. No, n- nobody noticed. I find that very hard to believe. This, uh, these crumblies, James and uh, and Jennifer, the, they, you can't be so stupid that this is happening in your home and you have no idea. And now it's all coming to light. You know, what you do in the dark eventually will be exposed and all will come to light. So she's watching everything come to light. You know, not just the, uh, The events of that day when her 15 year old son pulls a gun out of his backpack and, uh, you know, and shot 11 people, killed four kids at Oxford High. It was four days earlier when his father, Ethan's father, took him to the range and purchased that nine millimeter handgun. A bunch of pictures. The, the mother took a bunch of pictures of him at the range and put them all over, you know, social media. And then she has the nerve to be sitting there in this trial saying, Look, like, I, I didn't do anything. I, I didn't handle the gun. I didn't, I didn't, ha- I wouldn't have the gun, so I didn't store the gun. And we kept it in a lockbox with a key that we kept in a beer stein. What? She told the jury that she was nervous. But then, if you listen to some of the testimony, I've read it, but they try to give you a sense of how it went down. She, didn't, she spoke very calmly for nearly two hours before they even had a break in the proceedings. And she, she said she was you know, nervous and her neck was turning red and she hoped she wouldn't break out in hives. I mean, that's your big concern? Prosecutors presented his text messages from before the incident in which he told his mother that demons were throwing bowls and clothes were flying off the shelf at home. So, sounds like hallucinations to me. Sounds like some delusions to me. How do you as a parent not only not address that by getting the the child some help, but you hand them a gun? And you take pictures of them with a gun? Really? And then she had the audacity to say, well, that what you are reading is just Ethan messing around. Apparently not. He wasn't messing around. He was in big trouble, and you did nothing to help him. She said, well, you know, he thinks we've had a ghost in our house since 2015, The ghost even has a name, Boris Johnson. Really? You didn't think anything was odd about that? You know, the kid wrote in this journal, I have zero help for my mental problems and it's causing me to shoot up the school. That's what he wrote. My parents won't listen to me about help or a therapist and now I'm going to spend my life in prison and that there's a whole bunch of people out here who have about a day left to live. Oh, my God. But she didn't see any mental health problems in her son. mm She said, oh, well, uh, he used to be anxious about taking tests. You know, he was anxious about what would he do after high school? Should he go to college? Or should he go into the military? But at no point did I think he needed to see a psychiatrist. I... Uh, She needs to be prosecuted. That's all. I'm not saying that she she should uh, face a murder charge, but at the very least, her negligence facilitated a mass shooting, and she ought to be accountable for that one way or the other. They, there were pictures that this kid drew with guns and bullets and uh, the thoughts won't stop. Help me, the world is dead. My life is useless. They showed her that. The teachers showed the parents that. And they said, get this kid some help as soon as possible. But they wouldn't even take him home from school that day. They said, that, oh, we gotta get back to work. So he stayed in school. And then he pulled a handgun from his backpack and started shooting. You're damn right she should be sitting in a courtroom right now. That's all I'm going to say. Don't forget to uh, stay tuned. Coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs, and then uh, Lars Larson, and the Overnight Guys. And then tomorrow, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show first thing in the morning, and they'll wrap up this week. Can you believe it's already, we're already in February. Um, they'll be back, and then at 9 o'clock, Brian Kilmeade will be back, and at uh, noon, Dan Bongino will be back, and I'll come in and finish off the week tomorrow at 3 o'clock. But I still have one segment left today, so don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. You know, we have a lot of stuff uh, that's going to be coming tomorrow. You know, some decisions and courtrooms and uh, some numbers that are going to be interesting because you know I've been saying this for a long time. We here in this country, in the middle of this debt, death spiral, we're on borrowed time right now. And if you don't think that, then you don't understand how the markets work. And I'm talking about multiple markets, not just the stock market, but you have currency. You have uh, the Fed policies. you got rate markets. You've got precious metals. And everybody has a different opinion. I, I don't think any one person knows all the answers to all of this. But I will tell you one thing that everyone agrees on. This is going to get much worse before it gets any better. And that we are up to our way beyond our eyebrows in debt and we're looking at more policies that are just going to make it worse that are going to weaken our currency that are going to crush what's left of a middle class in this country and people are getting people are getting desperate look i'm not ignoring the story of the illegal immigrants who beat the crap out of two police officers in times square you know it's interesting that it became as big a story as it did because that happens probably a lot more frequently than you know but i know and so i'm not shocked when i see that stuff i know how frightened police officers around the country are right now they don't feel as though cities have their backs if they're in a sanctuary city like new york They're reeling. They don't know what to do. They don't have enough officers. And then the officers that they have end up on the nightly news getting their behinds kicked by a bunch of 19-year-olds, you know, who, who then have the nerve to give the reporters outside of the jailhouse when they're released without any bond, without a dime having to put up, they give the reporters the finger. You can't, if I wrote a script like this and tried to submit it to Hollywood and said, let's make this movie, they'd say, oh, you're a bigot. We're not making that movie. That would never happen. It happened. It happened yesterday in New York. That's why nobody wants to hear me when I talk about the economy. Because they think we got bigger problems, more immediate problems, Joyce. But it's all one problem. I've been saying it was a year ago that I came on the air and said that the Congressional Budget Office said that we have a $422 billion federal budget deficit for the first quarter in 2023. That's a lot of money borrowed in a very short amount of time. And as much as that was bothersome in 2023, the beginning of 2023... I guess I actually still thought that other people felt the way I did and would do something about it. And now you fast forward to where we are today. February 1st, 2024. And the Congressional Budget Office has just announced not $422 billion. No, now it's $509 billion for this first quarter. That adds up to an annual deficit run rate of 2.2 trillion with a T dollars. Let me me say that again just in case you you missed it. We are now at a level where our annual deficit run rate is 2.2 trillion dollars. That's ridiculous. In this 12-month interim, we saw revenues go up by about 8%, but uh, money put out, outlays for expenses in the same period, went up by 12%, which means that either Uncle Sam is in so much debt that he's stock raving mad, or that I'm stock raving mad for bringing it up. But I'm not alone. There are other people talking about this. Zero Hedge is talking about it. A handful of our elected representatives are talking about it. Because this country's bar tab of debt is now racing along at a rate that is way, way bigger than our GDP. So pushing the deficit to GDP ratio towards 8% and higher, that's a ratio we've never seen, except... Um, maybe in 2008 and then maybe a little during the beginning of of COVID. So uh, if if you would indulge me for a moment, in both of those embarrassing years, what followed was a disaster. It really was. And that's where we are. And this time, it won't be any different. And this time, it's actually... It's going to be worse because you don't have to be bearish to think this. You don't need a crystal ball or even be a prognosticator to understand. All you need is a calculator and a basic understanding of history to know we are screwed. Basic math tells me that death destroys nations and it's destroying ours. So I'm going to talk about it. You may not want to hear it, but I'm still going to talk about it because As bad as that scene in Times Square last night was with the cops getting beaten up, Mm, it's going to pale compared to what happens when we're all up against the proverbial uh, wall with this spiraling debt. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. If it be his will and he delays his coming, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you and God bless the USA. See you tomorrow at 3.